This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The lessons that we learn, that we can learn from Tisha B'Av. Unfortunately, the Mashiach hasn't come yet, and we're stuck in Tisha B'Av in the middle of a fast day. And what is the reason for this fast day? So we find there's many reasons scattered over the Talmud. So today I'd like to discuss a lot of these different reasons. And what can we today learn from these reasons? What can we learn from these reasons? But first we have to start off with a famous Gemara, which gives the main reasons. And this Gemara is in Yoma, and it's on Daf Tek Amud Aleph. And here the Gemara talks about three destructions. We always think about the two temples being destroyed. We don't really realize that the Mishkan in Shiloh, which stood for hundreds of years before the first temple was built, was also destroyed, and uh, we also mourning for this uh, Mishkan, for the Mishkan in Shiloh, and it was destroyed at the time of Eliyahu Cohen. Eliyahu Cohen was the was the high priest at that time, and we're talking about the uh, Mishkan in Shiloh was built uh, soon after Yoshua got into the land of Israel. After Yoshua was built, about 1258 BCE, and it lasted for around 300 odd years. So 889 BCE was destroyed by the Pelishtim, by the Philistines. So Eli was the high priest, and the Gemara in Yuma discusses why was the uh, temple, why was the Mishkan in Shiloh destroyed? And the, the, uh, the Gemara says, I just want to read it to you very quickly. Amar Rabbi Yochanan ben Turta. Rabbi Yochanan ben Turta says, Why was Shiloh destroyed? So he says, There were two things that they were doing at that time. They were immoral. And because they were not acting properly with regards to the sacrifices. Who are these people who are, not, who are doing these things? They were no other than Chofni and Finchas, who were the sons of Eli Akohen. Eli Akohen's sons, the Gemara says, and the, the Torah says explicitly, that in the book of Shoftim, that they were not behaving properly. They were doing these two things. So they were immoral, and they were disgracing the sacrifices. So what were they doing? So the Gemara says, finally, that they weren't really immoral. What they were doing is they were delaying women's sacrifices. So when a woman has a baby, and she goes to the Beit HaMikdash, and she brings a korban. And that korban was a bird offering. And uh, they were delaying the bird offerings of the women. They were telling them, come back tomorrow, come back tomorrow. There's too many people, come back tomorrow. And because they were delaying the women's offerings, it was considered as if they were delaying the women going back to their husbands. And therefore, it was considered immorality. That's number one. Number two is, when they were bringing offerings, normally the coin would bring the fats and burn it on the altar. And then he would get a piece of the offering to, to eat himself. But instead of waiting to burn the fats, they would go and get the meat before they burnt the fats. So they were disgracing the offerings of Hashem. So the Gemara said those are the two reasons why the Mishkan and Shiloh were destroyed. So one, because immorality, which uh, is uh, today, I'd say it's a very, very uh, esoteric kind of immorality, delaying women going back to their husbands. And number two is because they desecrated the Korbanot. Then the Gemara discusses what about the first temple? Why was the first temple destroyed? And he tells us, because they were doing three things. The first temple was destroying, destroyed because they were doing two, three, three things, three cardinal sins. They were breaking the three cardinal sins. 
What are three carnal sins? Kilui arayot, again, immorality, murder, and idolatry. Three cardinal sins they were break in the first temple period, and that's why the first temple was destroyed. And then, why was the second temple destroyed? So the Gemara says, because of Sinat Chinam, because they hated each other for no reason. There was no reason they hated each other, which is very interesting, which we have to discuss. And that's our exile. Our exile is based on Sinat Chinam, which we have to discuss. Obviously, it's, uh, it's going on today, otherwise the temple would have been rebuilt. So that's really one of the things we have to focus on, Sinat Chinam. But let's go back to the first temple. So the question the Gemara asks is, if the first temple was so bad, why was it rebuilt after 70 years? In fact, there's a big debate over here between Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish, who lived about 300 years after the temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed. And Rabbi Yochanan says that the, the, the temple, the first temple period, were much better. How come they were much better? Because the fact is that 70 years later they were let back into Israel and they rebuilt the second temple. Whereas we, the second temple period, is much worse. And the sin of Sinat Hina is much worse, and that's why it's still going on today, and that's why we're not led back into the temple where we don't have a second, uh, third temple. Reish Lakish says, no, the second temple period was much better than the, than the first temple period. Why? Because in the first temple period, they were still learning Torah. And as we see today, the, the exile, even though we've been exiled all over the world, the Torah has kept us alive, has kept us going. However, there's a debate in the Gemara, which, which uh, of the generations was worse? The bottom line is, our generation, the generation of the second temple is much worse. Why? Because their sins were hidden. Whereas the generation of the first temple, their sins were revealed. What does that mean? That means when a person sins and he knows why he's sinning, then he can fix it by doing teshuva. But a person who sins because he hates people, he says, listen, what do I do? I didn't do anything. I just hate in my heart. I didn't really do anything. And therefore, it's much less likely he's going to do teshuva. So the sins which are revealed, the Gemara says, are much easier to atone for than the sins which are not revealed. So sins a person does in private are much harder to atone for than sins done in public. Sins done in public, people tell him, people remind him, he'll remember. People, things which are done in private, people not remember. So that's a very interesting concept, the idea of uh, things which we think are small. Small things, it's very hard to do teshuva from. And then Rambam brings down, in his laws of teshuva, 24 things, he has a list of 24 things in the laws of teshuva, where he says they're very hard to do teshuva from. And then he said, not because they're big things, it's because, dafka, because they're small things, it's hard to do teshuva. The second temple was destroyed because of something really esoteric, that they couldn't really put their finger on. They hate each other, but I didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. They hated without really following up the hatred. And therefore a person can say, you know what, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I just uh, hated in my heart. I didn't like this person. I didn't like that person. I didn't get along with this one. I didn't get along with that one. I put this one down. And we're going to talk about how this led to Lashonara. According, according to the Havitz Chaim, the Sinat Chinam by itself is not enough to destroy the temple. The main issue was they started speaking Lashonara about each other. And we're going to see that that led to bloodshed. That led to bloodshed between the different groups. So the second temple was destroyed by Titus. So there's different opinions. One says 70 CE, the other one says 68 CE. And a large part of the Jewish population was either killed or sold into slavery. So it was a really a terrible time to be Jewish. It was a terrible time uh, for uh, all the slaves taken to Rome. 
And it says the price of slaves went down because there were so many slaves in the market from Israel. The Talmud and Midrash all give different reasons why this happened. And so I'm going to go through these different reasons. So we went through some of the reasons why. Number one is, why was the Mishkan destroyed? Because of immorality and because of the disgrace of Korbanot. Why was the first temple destroyed? Because of three cardinal sins. Immorality, adult, uh, immorality murder, and idolatry. And why was the second temple destroyed? So far, so far we have one answer. And the answer is, and you know what the Gemara says? It says they were righteous that time. They were learning Torah, they were doing mitzvot, they were doing acts of kindness, but they hated each other. So it's a very strange time period. And, but that's exactly the time period we're in. That a person may be religious on the surface, but they may hate other groups in their hearts. And that's the Sinat Hinam which we're talking about. And that is still going on. So, so there's uh, different opinions. Okay, let's go through some more of the opinions. So the first opinion is disunity. The disunity, the sinat chinam, the disunity among the Jews. So we have to realize at that time what was going on. There were so many. There were at least twenty-four different groups of Jews. There were twenty-four different kinds of people and their belief systems and how they reacted. So number one is we have to realize under the Maccabees, the Maccabees fought the Greeks. So two hundred years before the temple was destroyed, the Maccabean kings they set themselves up as kings. They fought the Greeks, they brought back Judaism, we, we celebrate the Maccabees for fighting the Greeks and letting us worship our God. However, the, the Greeks, the, the, their system was so overwhelming that the Maccabean kings themselves became Hellenized. And the Jews at that time, a lot of the wealthy Jews especially, and the Sadducees, which we're going to see, the Sadducees, uh, based on the word Sadok, Sadok was one of the high priests, who became a Saduki. He was the first Saduki. What is a Saduki? A Saduki is a person who says, you know what, I don't believe in rabbinic Judaism. I believe only in Torah Judaism. I just want the Torah. I don't want any rabbinic um, uh, different kinds of interpretations. I don't want the rabbis involved. I just want the real thing. I want the written Torah. So as the Sadducees, they were wealthy Jews. A lot of them were Kohanim, mainly Kohanim. And they denied the divine origins of the oral law. And they dominated the Kohanim, the temple, the Benedictash. And they were willing to keep the Romans happy because they wanted to keep their power base in Yerushalayim in the temple. That's number one. Number one is the Sadukim. Number two is the Perushim. The Perushim, as the word uh, is uh, to separate. They were the pious ones. They were separate. They tried to separate themselves from other people. And they were very, very strict on the laws of ritual purity and ritual impurity. And therefore, they were very careful not to touch other people, not to get close to other people, because they didn't want to become impure. And so they were called the Pirushim. They were separate from the others. And the Pirushim, in fact, is what today is rabbinic Judaism. We come from the Pirushim. We come from this uh, sect, the Pirushim, the Pharisees, which was the mainstream of Jews. All the great rabbis were all Pirushim. And they disapproved also of fighting. They didn't want to fight Rome. The rabbis knew that Rome was the superpower of the time. We're not going to fight Rome. We're going to do everything to pacify Rome. However, the third group was the zealots. And the zealots are splintered different kinds of zealots. They were extremists, radical extremists, who believed that they're going to fight Rome, they're going to beat Rome. And the rabbi said, you're not going to beat Rome. They're too powerful. Leave them alone. No, we're going to fight them. We're going to beat them. And the zealots had different groups. And there was a group called the Sikari, uh, which was known as the Dagger. They would kill anyone who disagreed with them. 
So if you if you said I support Rome, they would kill you straight away. If you didn't uh, if you didn't agree to fight Rome, they would kill a person. In fact, according to Josephus, he says that even around the when when the Romans besieged Jerusalem, there was blood coming from around the walls of Jerusalem. In other words, the Jews were killing each other. The the uh, zealots were fighting each other. There were at least three different groups of zealots inside Yerushalayim, under three different leaders, and they were fighting each other. Shimon ben Giora. There was Yochanan, and there was one other, and they were fighting each other inside Yerushalayim. And the siege of Ro- of uh, Yerushalayim really, it was terrible, because inside, uh, inside Yerushalayim, they were destroying their own food supplies, because they wanted people to go out and fight. And uh, there was tremendous hunger, and they were fighting each other, and killing people who, who wanted to surrender. So can you imagine the Jews were killing themselves. And then there were Biryonim, these were crooks, these were robbers who were disguising themselves as zealots. So there was different kinds of groups among the Jews, 24 different kinds of groups, and uh, that was one of the problems that they didn't get along. They didn't unify. If they had unified, maybe there was a chance they could fight Rome, but even then, Rome was a superpower. You don't take on a superpower. It's like uh, Israel fighting NATO. It's not a good idea. So the rabbis were very much against it. However, these Biryonim, and we're going to see the Gemara and Gitin discusses uh, the uh, chief rabbi at that time, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was holed up in Yushalayim, in the siege of Yushalayim, and he tries to get out. And his own nephew was one of the leaders of the uh, zealots. And his nephew, he goes to his nephew, he says, please get me out of here, maybe I can go and talk to the Romans, I can save something. And the zealot says, there's only one way you get out, that's if you act dead. In other words, only the dead could get out. They would bury the dead outside, not to defile Yushalayim. So he pretended to be dead, and they took him outside, and he goes to see Vespasian. And uh, Vespasian tells him, why did you're liable two death penalties? He says, why? He says, number one is, you address me as the emperor, and I'm not the emperor. And number two is, why do you take so long to come here? So he said, listen, number one is, I know you're going to be emperor. Why? Because Yushalayim is not going to fall by the hands of a, a regular person. He's got to be a leader. And number two is, I couldn't come because the zealots wouldn't let me out. So uh, he had two reasons. So, so uh, Vespasian asked him a, a very important question. He says, listen, he said, there's a barrel of wine. And there's a snake, a poisonous snake, wrapped around the barrel of wine. And even if you have to destroy the barrel, but you want to kill the poisonous snake. So uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai didn't have an answer for it. Instead of saying, you know, kill the snake and leave the barrel alive, he was talking about the the zealots, he said, I'm going to destroy the barrel of wine with the poisonous snake. The zealot is the poisonous snake. I'm going to destroy Yerushalayim with the snake. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai should have said, kill the poisonous snake and leave the barrel. Unfortunately, he didn't. But that's the element of Sinat Chinam. Anyway, the, the story goes that the, straight away, a rider rides up from Rome and says, Hail Caesar to Vespasian. And uh, Vespasian is so happy. Well, he became the emperor. He says, Yochanan ben Zakkai, you have three wishes. I'll give you three wishes. And Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, give me the city of Yavne. And all the wise men of Yavne, that's where he moved the Sanhedrin to Yavne. That's how Judaism survived, because he moved the city, he moved the Torah scholars to Yavne. And under Roman, uh, the Romans gave their approval because of this uh, story. Number two is, I want the line of David, King David, to be saved. So the Mashiach will come from the line of David. And number three is, I want a doctor to heal Rabbi Tzadok. It says Rabbi Tzadok fasted for 40 years. Obviously he wasn't fasting. He, he, was, just, he was just drinking water. I don't, know how, I don't know how he lived. But it says he was so thin that you could see right through him. So he wanted a doctor to heal Rabbi Tzadok. 
So Rabbi Akiva asked, he says, how come Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai didn't ask for the city of Yerushalayim? To spare Yerushalayim. And Rabbi Akiva castigates Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai. The Gemara says, because if you ask for too much, you get nothing. So Rabbi Yochan ben Zakkai knew that he's going to ask for the city of Yerushalayim, then he's going to get nothing. But anyway, one of the lessons we learn from this destruction is, number one, we learn is this unity. This problem of this unity, which unfortunately we're seeing today. There, there's uh, there's uh, riots, there's, uh, there's demonstrations, and it's very important that we don't fight each other. It's very important that we respect each other's views, not to the point where it gets violent. So it's very, very important. One of the lessons is this idea of not getting involved with intersinine fighting. And we find the Gemara also talks about the disputes between Hillel and Shammai. There were 316 disputes between two great houses, two great yeshivot, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. The house of Shammai, which is the yeshiva of Shammai and the, and the yeshiva of Hillel. 316 disputes. And it says over there, it says that the, when their students became great in Israel, the Torahs became like two Torahs. Words, you go to the rabbi of Beit Shammai, I'll tell you one thing, you go to the rabbi of Beit Hillel, I'll tell you now something else. And uh, there was a disaster. So that's also as part of the idea of uh, hatred. They started, they couldn't mingle with each other at one time because they held different uh, rules. So it's very important to have a unified religious code. Uh, thank God we have a Shulchan Aruch today. Thank God we have a Rambam today. But even then, it's not enough. We have to be more unified. Uh, the number two is the, the corruption of the leadership. And we talked about the high priests. You know, the Gemara says in Yuma, it says, in the first temple, I just want to read it, let's see. In the first temple it says there were 22 Kohanim over a period of 410 years. 22 Kohanim. In the second temple period, a period of 420 years, there were 317 Kohanim. You can imagine. So in the first temple period, it was a pretty stable time where you knew there was a high priest there for at least 22 odd years. And uh, things were stable around the high priest. Uh, religious leadership was the same for a long time. However, in the, in the second time period, the religious leadership was dying every year. Every time the Kohen Gadol would go into the Holy of Holies, he would die. He would be killed. And that's why they would tie his leg. Can you imagine? He would go into the Holy of Holies, they would tie his leg with a chain so that he wouldn't die. If he died, no one, could, no one could go in to pull him out. They would just pull him out with this metal chain. Terrible, terrible times. So there was a corruption. The office of the high priest was totally corrupted. And the individual who would pay the highest price to the rulers, he would become the high priest. So, for example, Yoshua ben Gamla, who happened to be a very big tzaddik, married an extremely wealthy widow who was from a family of high priests. And she paid for him to become the next high priest. So that's an example of the corruption of leadership. Rabbi Yochanan says, Yushalayim was destroyed because the judges ruled in accordance with the strict letter of the law. They never gave true leadership. And they ruled by the strict letter of the law. And their leadership was corrupt. So that's number two, is leadership corrupts. Number one is we have this unity. Number two, we have the corruption of the leadership. Number three, the idea of a lack of shame. In other words, in the second time period, a person would do a sin. He could do it publicly and no one would tell him off. There's a famous story, the Gemara says, in Shabbat, in Kufyutet, it says, Ula, who was an Amora, who lived in Israel, he claimed that the people at that time had no shame for each other. They weren't ashamed, even when they were caught, they weren't ashamed. 
So that's uh, one of the things that every Jew should have, is Boshet uh, Panim. We say every day in the morning, in the morning prayers, As Panim Legeinam, a person with no shame goes to Geinam, or Boshet Panim Leganed, and a person with shame goes to Ganed. And what does that mean? That means that if you tell a person he's doing something wrong, and he says, I don't care, you can say what you want, I don't care. He's not ashamed. As Panim Legeinam. Boshet Panim, a person has shame and says, you know, you're right, I'm sorry, I didn't think about it. That person is going to go to Ganed. So that's the case in the second term period, it says, Ula says, they had no shame for each other. And there's a famous Gemara in Gitin, in Dafnun Chet Amud Aluf. The Gemara says, what happened before the destruction? There was an incident involving a certain person. So there was a very, very rich carpenter, a very, very important carpenter. And this carpenter had an apprentice. In those days, apprentices would sleep in the same house as the carpenter. That was part of the deal. In fact, this system lasted for thousands of years. The system of apprenticeship lasted for thousands of years. So the apprentice fancied his master's wife. And that's what the Gemara says. And one time his master, um, his master needed a loan. And his apprentice gave him the loan. And he said, I'll give you the loan, just send your wife to me. And the wife stayed with the apprentice for three days. And uh, the master got a bit suspicious. Three days later, he says, where's my wife? He goes to the apprentice, where's my wife? The apprentice says, I sent her back already. But I heard that she was raped on her way back home. So the master says to the apprentice, what should I do? The apprentice says, I think you should divorce her. So the master says, I can't afford a ketubah. The apprentice said, listen, I'll lend you the money of the ketubah. Here's the money for the ketubah. You pay her off and you divorce her. So the master, a bit naive, he divorced her. And now he owes the apprentice tremendous amount of money. And uh, the apprentice goes and marries his ex-wife. And uh, the master says, listen, I can't afford to give you back the money I borrowed. He says, okay, you work for me. So this is how the Gemara ends off. The apprentice and his wife will be sitting, eating and drinking, while the master, the woman's first husband, will be standing over them and serving them drinks. And tears would fall from his eyes into their cups. Because at that moment, the Gemara says, the divine decree against the Jewish people was sealed. Why? Because they remained silent in the face of this injustice. So this is a very interesting story that shows, is number three, is lack of shame. And the fact that people never rebuked anyone. They were scared to rebuke. Obviously, you don't want to rebuke people. You don't get angry. You got to get them angry. So that's number three. Number three is lack of shame. Number four. Rabbi says, this is in the Gemara Shabbat, Kofiutet Amud Ben. Yushalayim was destroyed because there were no more people of truth. That means you couldn't trust anyone. There were no more honest people there. Terrible. Uh, the Midrash says, a, a very, very st- strange Midrash um, in Echa, in chapter 2 of Echa, it says, you know, we know that, that there was a town of Betar. Betar was destroyed 50 years after Yerushalayim. It was a town of which uh, Bar Kokhva was holed up. It's a massive town. A lot of people living in Betar. Eventually, unfortunately, the Romans destroyed Betar after the Bar Kokhva revolt. But uh, it says, when Yerushalayim was destroyed, in Betar they were very happy. They lit candles. Imagine. That's hard to imagine. Yushalayim and the Bedevi destroyed. The Jews in Betar, a few miles away, are enjoying themselves, are happy, and they're rejoicing. They're lighting candles. It says, why? It says, when a person from Betar came to visit Yushalayim, the Jerusalem person would get very friendly with them and find out about the property he owned in Betar. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem would write a false deed to show that he owned the land of Betar. 
you'd ask the guy in Beitar many questions, where's the land, where it is, da 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 da, and write a false deed and show that he owned the land in Beitar. And imagine the, the, the judges, the crooked judges get paid off, and they would. F- so we see over there that Yushalai and the people of Yushalai became very corrupt, and the justice system was corrupt, and the people were lying to each other. Number five. So we know, you have to rebuke your fellow Jew, and uh, that's one of the hardest mitzvot probably to do, but it's, a person should do it in a right way, in, the, in a nice way, not in a, not in a harsh way, not in a nasty way. But that's what the Gemara says, that they didn't reprimand each other. Number six, Abel Bahu says, Yushalayim was destroyed because they intentionally omitted reciting Shema morning and evening. Imagine, people didn't stop saying Shema. So why did they stop saying Shema? And the answer is because it's a, it's a rabbinic learning of the, of the Torah law. The Torah says you read the Shema when you're getting up and when you're lying down. From there we learn how you've got to read the Shema twice a day. But that's a Gemara. So they didn't, they didn't care. They didn't bother reading Shema. They had the temple. They believed Hashem was with them. They said, listen, I love God in my heart. God is in my heart. You know, there's many Jews today. They're called cardiac Jews. But I'm a good Jew in my heart. I believe in God in my heart. But you've got to do the mitzvah. Ah, they didn't do the mitzvah. They were good Jews in their hearts. So the Gemara says that rather than recite the Shema, instead of saying you love the Lord your God, you love you with all your soul, with all the resources, the people were drinking wine and liquor. They were becoming very materialistic. They were very pleasure-seeking. If you go to Yushalayim today, you'll find there's an archaeological site called the Burnt House. And the Burnt House was a house burned down by Romans, which you can go and see today. You can see the remnants underground. It's an it's amazing, amazing site. And you'll see there was a beautiful place. It was mosaics on the floor. They had their own mikvah. It was obviously it was owned by a very rich Kohen. So they had very rich people in Yushalayim. And we said the Kohanim themselves became Sadducees. And they didn't believe in the oral law. So it says, that's what it says. It said they stopped reciting the Shema. Can you imagine something so basic as reciting the Shema in the morning and the evening? They became materialistic and pleasure-seeking and they lost their interest in living a moral life. Number seven, Rabbi Huda says, Yushalayim was destroyed because they made a mockery of the rabbis. So once people start mocking the people who are meant to give them ethical rules, obviously there's no hope. There's no hope for them to be ethical. And that's number seven. They disparaged the scholars. So we said the Pharisees, the rabbis were telling them, don't fight, just keep being a good Jew. You can be a good Jew under the Romans, just pay your taxes and they'll leave you alone. And they disparaged the rabbis. And they killed rabbis, not just disparaged rabbis. They killed rabbis. So that's number seven. Number eight, we find uh, Bar Kokhba himself. He killed his own uh, uncle. He killed one of the great rabbis at that time who was praying for him to be saved. He killed him. So there was no respect for rabbis. There was no respect for scholars. Number eight, interesting. Rab Hamnuna, in the third century, he said the Yerushalayim was destroyed because they neglected the education of school children. Interesting. It says Rabbi Shubhan Gamla. Rabbi Shubhan Gamla instituted schools in every town in Israel and he kept Judaism alive. But over here, Rabbi Hamunna says in the time of the Second Temple, they never, they never kept Judaism alive. They never educated their children. The Torah says in the Shema, You will teach your children, send your kids to Yeshiva, teach your children about Judaism. So a society that wants to prosper has to invest in the next generation. And also character building, moral education. So this is something which they neglected. And you see so many people became 
gangsters. In the second town period time, it was a disaster. There were so many Jewish gangsters. I mean, you know, in America, there were some Jewish gangsters. But can you imagine the second temple period under the high priests, under the Sanhedrin, there were so many Jewish kids who became gangsters because they never got a Jewish education. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So that's number eight. Neglecting the education of school children. Number nine. Rabbi Yitzhak says, this is exactly what Korach wanted to do. There's no such thing as a great person. There's no such thing as an ignorant person. We're all equal. The Pharisees were very much into this idea of En am chasid. An ignorant person cannot be pious. But obviously they were the minority. The, the vast majority of Jews believed they didn't have to have any learning to be great. Any, everywhere were all equal. It was a spiritual communism. Every person is equal, whether you learn, whether you don't learn, we're all equal, we're all Jewish, we're all equal. And therefore they, they never gave any respect to the rabbis. They equated everyone. So therefore, it's like today in America, right? That the, the greatest people in America are the sports, sportsmen or the, or the actors or the actresses or the singers. So these are the greatest people. What about the people who really learn and, and are very knowledgeable and the people who are educated and the school teachers? Zeros. And that's the difference. That's a, a difference between a great society and a, and a losing society. How do you equate the people? People who are knowledgeable with people who are not knowledgeable. And uh, the, the rebellion, we said, of uh, this, this, the, the, uh, this extremism between them, the hatred between them. I don't like you. You don't think like me. I don't like you. I hate you. I'll kill you even, to the point where there's, there's killing. You know, it's interesting, because the Gemara we talked about talks about how the temple was destroyed because of Sinat Hinam. It was destroyed because of hatred, unwarranted hatred. So there's an interesting maharal. The maharal discusses this. Maharal says it's not because God punished us for the unwarranted hatred. He said the destruction of the temple was a result of the unwarranted hatred. In other words, it's not like it was a punishment. It was a totsa'ah, which means it was a product of the hatred. The product of the hatred was destruction. The product of a society which cannot get along with each other is destruction, unfortunately. And we should never go that route. We have to be united in Israel. We have to be united outside Israel. Jews have to be united where we are. We have tremendous amounts of enemies all over. And we have to learn to be united. So that's a very tremendous lesson over here. The lesson of unity is strength. And if we were united, maybe we would have beaten the Romans. Maybe we wouldn't have fought the Romans in the first place. So unity is very important. The unity and respect for leadership. But once the leadership itself is corrupt, and you can't respect the leadership, then we got a big problem. we got a major problem. That's one of the problems in the Second Temple. That the leadership itself was corrupt. Let's move on to number 11. And this is uh, Chavitz Chaim. He writes that the baseless hatred was not the cause, but it was a product that produced Lashon Hara. And it's Lashon Hara that caused the destruction. Lashon Hara, people started speaking bad about each other. And you have different groups speaking bad about each other. That led to uh, baseless hatred. That led to uh, destruction. That led to uh, murder. Killing other people. Not respecting other people. Robbing from other people. Uh, disaster. Number, th- number 13. The Gemara gives down a story. This is amazing, a lo- very long story, a very famous story that everyone has heard of, I'm sure, about Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. Right? It's a Gemara in Gitin. The Gemara discusses a person who was making a party. We don't know what kind of party it was. Party was a wedding for his child, and he had a friend called Kamsa, and he had an enemy called Bar Kamsa. So the Gemara is illustrating this idea of hatred for no reason. He has a friend called Kamsa, and he has an enemy called Bar 
Kamsa. Interesting, huh? To have a friend and an enemy. The, the Maharsha says they were father and son. He loved the father and hated the son. Imagine. Now, which father wants to go to a wedding where his son doesn't, is not invited? I mean, uh, you're not inviting my son, I'm not coming, you know. So, but the father went to the wedding, Kamsa went to the wedding, and Barak Kamsa was not invited. But it says his messenger was a bit of a, he didn't understand everything. Kamsa, Barak Kamsa invited both of them. He invited Kamsa and Barak Kamsa. The guy goes into the wedding hall, and he sees Barak Kamsa, his enemy, sitting over there. Now, it doesn't say anywhere, the Gemara does not say, why was he his enemy? So based on this concept of baseless hatred, apparently he never did anything to deserve to be an enemy. He's just a guy that he didn't like. I don't want you here. Get out of here. I don't like your face. Get out of here. So Barakamsa, please, please leave me here. And this is a hall full of people, full of rabbis, full of great people. Uh, members of the Sanhedrin were there. The priests the priest were there. Everyone was there. It's a very important gentleman who has a party. Everyone's invited. And here is Barakamsa sitting in the party. And the guy comes to Barakamsa in public and says, Get out of here. And Barakamsa says, Please, please, leave me here. I'll pay for my food. The guy says, No, take yourself. Get out and get out before I throw you out. Then he says, please, he says, I'll pay for half the meal. Boy, I wish I had an enemy like that. I'll pay for half the banquet. So he says, no, he says, get out. He says, I'll pay for the whole banquet. Well, that's a good kind of enemy to have. Pay for the whole banquet, pay for the whole meal. Just don't embarrass me in public. He takes him with his hands and throws him out. So Barakamsa says, since the rabbis were sitting there, no one said a word. Since the priests were sitting there, no one said a word. Since the members of the Sanhedrin were sitting there, they didn't say a word. It must be they agreed. They must be pro-anti-Barakamsa. They must all be against me. And therefore, I'm going to go and cause trouble. So we see over here this concept that even one person who discontented with society can cause tremendous, tremendous trouble. It's very, very important amongst us in every community to make sure there's no people who are disgruntled. There's no people who are very upset. This is a very important concept that, you know, finding certain synagogues, you know, the one person over there is upset, starts speaking Lashon Ara, he doesn't like the leadership, doesn't like this. And it's very important that this is nipped in the bud, either by talking to them or in, uh, you know, there's, there's got to be some action, otherwise he's going to destroy the whole place by his uh, bad speech and by the... So that's what Barakamsa did. Barakamsa went to Rome, Barakamsa goes, Barakamsa spreads a, spool, a false report about the Jews, Barakamsa comes back, and he tells the emperor, he says, the Jews have rebelled against you. The emperor says, I never heard anything about it. He says, I'll prove it to you. Send them a sacrifice. Now, people don't realize, but in the temple in, in Israel, you could accept sacrifices from non-Jews. In fact, the last prophecy, one of the last prophecies is, Ki beti kare My house will be a house of prayer for all the nations of the world. The Temple Mount is going to be a house of prayer for all the nations of the world. Everyone's going to bring their own, you can, uh, non-Jews can bring their sacrifices as well. And the sacrifice offered by the Kohen in the Beit HaMikdash. So he says, listen, Emperor, you don't believe the Jews rebelled against you? Please, try, bring an offering and see if they rebelled. So the Emperor sends an offering, a beautiful cow as an offering, and on the way back, he puts a nick in the eyelid of the cow. And uh, that's uh, the emperor. Can you imagine the emperor, emperor's cow? Barakamsa puts a nick in the eyelid. And for non-Jews, it's not considered a blemish. But for Jews, it's considered a blemish. So they come back to Yerushalayim. And he says, I have an offering for, for you, for the Beit HaMikdash, from the emperor of Rome. And the Sanhedrin says... Let's discuss this. We have a major problem now. We can't offer a sacrifice with a blemish. 
So even though it's a minor blemish, even though it's an offering from the Emperor of Rome, even though he's going to get very angry, maybe he'll come and destroy Israel, maybe he'll come and destroy the Temple. And they decide not to do anything. They're not going to bring the offering, even if he comes to destroy us. Can you imagine? They made this decision. So we see that there's extremism over there. There's a, there is extremism. There's a reprimanding an evildoer. They never reprimanded this, this guy who had the party. Let Bar Kamsa be. Don't disgrace him in public. He's going to pay for the whole party. Make friends and don't make enemies. Unfortunately, they never did that. And uh, Bar Kamsa was very unhappy. And we're going to make sure this doesn't happen in our institutions. And there's a person who's unhappy. Unfortunately, we find there's always unhappy people. And uh, there's people who are demonstrating, but it's got to be done, as I said before, in a, in a way where there's no violence, where there's no bloodshed. We have to get along, we have to respect each other's views, and uh, we have to think ahead. A person shouldn't be hardliner and say, listen, I'm going to go to hell and to high water, I'm not going to bring that offering, even though Jerusalem's destroyed and thousands of Jews are going to die. We know the Torah allows, for the sake of Pikuah Nefesh, there's a law of Pikuah Nefesh, saving life. So the Sanhedrin was very, very extreme. And that's another lesson not to be too extreme. Very, very important lesson not to be too extreme. To, there's always ways. It says, adif. There's a ways of finding loopholes in Jewish law. And that's why a person should be a rabbi to learn. To learn, it's like going to a good accountant. Why do you go to a good accountant? Because if you go to a bad accountant, you play full price. <laughs> if you go to a good accountant, he knows all the rules. He knows all the rules. A rabbi should know all the rules. Sometimes you'll be lenient, sometimes you'll be strict. A person's going to know when to be strict and when to be lenient. That's how they didn't know. So in, times, in terms of uh, someone being embarrassed in public, they were very lenient. In terms of not bringing the sacrifice, they were very strict. And that destroyed Yerushalayim. Abaye says, Yushalayim was destroyed because they broke Shabbat. It's amazing. We've got to be so careful and keep Shabbat. All Jews around the world should try and keep Shabbat as much as possible and learn about Shabbat, learn the laws of Shabbat. Because Shabbat is really an important, important gift to us. When a person keeps Shabbat, they are flying the flag. What do you mean they're flying the flag? They believe that God created the world. A person keeps Shabbat, it's a, it's a, it's a sign between us and God that we believe in six days God, God created and the seventh day rested so in other words we believe that God created the world so it's very very important Shomer Shabbat to be Shomer Shabbat he said the Shabbat was desecrated in Yushalayim I don't know who is desecrating Shabbat in Yushalayim we don't have any details but apparently it was desecrated in Yushalayim another source even though there's, there's a contradiction Avod the Rabbi Natan says in the name of Rabbi Shimon Sadiq, the sin of neglect of Torah study was the cause of many exiles so not neglecting, uh, you know, this, uh, there's a very beautiful Rambam. This Rambam is not, you won't find it in the Rambam itself, you'll find it in one of his letters. This letter was written to the Jews of Marseille. It's interesting, the Rambam had a very long communications with Jews from around the world. He has what's called the Gerita Ramban, the, the letters of the Rambam. You can buy it today, it's a, a sefer, they produced it. Um, they found letters all over in the Cairo Geniza, and they put it together, they put a book together of the letters written by the Rambam. So these letters, some of the letters were written to the Jews of, of France. He had tremendous debates between him and the Jews of France. And eventually the Jews of France accused him of being an Apicoris. So, which is, imagine the Rambam being an Apicoris. So, uh, and they eventually burned the books of the Rambam in France, in the public square in Paris. And the king of Fr- France says, what's that burning over there? He said, oh, Jews are burning Jewish books. He said, oh, what a good idea. 
Let me get involved as well. He confiscated all the, all the editions of the Talmud the Jews had in France and he burned them on the same pyre. And when the rabbis saw this, they said, wow, they burned the Talmud on the same pyre as the Rambam. That means the Rambam must be holy as well. And they went, went around asking forgiveness from the Rambam. But it just shows the extremism of that time because the Rambam was quoting non-Jewish authors like Aristotle and others and therefore they put him in a cherem. They wanted to put him in cherem and, and burn his books. Terrible, terrible. Anyway, he had an interesting uh, letter to the Jews of Marseille. And he, Rambam was very much against astrology. Astrology, superstition. He was very, very anti-astrology and superstition. Any kind of superstition. Because he believed that superstition and astrology was practiced by the pagans. And it brings, we Jews, we should be smarter than the pagans. The pagans, he says, many rulers in those days would rule their societies based on superstition. If you do this, this is going to attack you, the demons are going to come, and the witches, and this and that. They had believed in all kinds of things, and that's how they kept control over their society. It says, the Egyptians, it says, not a single slave would escape from Egypt. They were so terrified of the demons in the borders. That was what the Egyptians uh, taught them. They're demons in the borders. So they base their societies on superstition to control the masses. That's what the Rambam says. It's not fit for us Jews to believe in these superstitions. And the fact that Torah has this uh, three or four negative commandments against uh, the superstitions and astrology. The Rambam says not to believe in astrology, not to believe in superstition. And he says this is one of the causes of the destruction of Yishalayim. This is a wild Rambam over here. Look what he says. This is what abolished our kingdom, destroyed our Beit Mikdash, prolonged our exile, Imagine. Our ancestors imagined that these wisdoms of astrology and superstition were glorious and greatly beneficial. And they did not study warfare. This is an amazing Rambam. Rambam doesn't talk about not studying Torah. He says they didn't study warfare. In other words, the Jews, especially in your own land, you've got to be experts in war. Because obviously you're going to be attacked. You've got to know how to run a war. And these zealots, you see, the zealots were disasters. They knew how to fight, but they never had a strategy. There was no strategy. They were not experts in strategy. They burned their own food supplies. They're crazy lunatics. They were lunatics, but they never had a strategy. Why? Rambam says because they didn't believe in God. They were superstitious. They believed in superstition. You know, the famous story with uh, Bar Kokhba. How did Bar Kokhba lose? The Rabbi Kiva believed that Bar Kokhba was the Messiah. And he's called Bar Kokhba the son of the stars uh, Christianity also based on this idea they, they also have this star this, the, the vision of the stars the elders of the stars and Bar was the son of the stars predicted why? because Darach uh, Kochav Yaakov the prediction of Bilam the Mashiach is going to be Darach Kochav Yaakov there will be a star in Jacob that's, that's the Mashiach they call, Yaakov, they call Bar Kochva the, the son of the star he's the Mashiach he's the star of the show and then they had to admit they were wrong why? Bar says I pray, Hashem, please, you don't have to help me. Just don't help my enemies. Barakov is praying to Hashem not to help him. That's a loony. That's a loony. That's an extremist. That's a lunatic. So uh, that's the problem we have in the second time period where people believed in astronomy, they believed in astrology, they believed in superstition. But did they really believe in God? Did they really believe in the God of Israel? That's the question we have. And that's what the Rambam says. That's amazing. And I just want to tell you what uh, Rabbi Yudah Tachtal, who is the Ema Banim, he writes, Our master Rambam blames our ancestors for wasting their time and relying on vanities and nothingness, which is astrology, astrology and superstition. 
Now, why did he not blame them for their failure to study Torah and serve Hashem properly? The answer must be that that alone is insufficient cause. The Rambam combines two reasons in his view that led to the Khurban. The sin of idolatry, which is astrology, and the natural consequence of not studying self-defense. Imagine. Amazing, amazing. Okay. So we have a lot of Jews today who believe, you know what, God will save me, but I don't have to do anything. No, we need an army. We need an air force. We need, uh, we need uh, thank God we have the, the Jewish army. Thank God we have an army. Baruch Hashem. The Nitziv of Elijah. His introduction to Breshit in his book, Haimek Davar. He blames the destruction of excessive righteousness. We talked a bit about this. We talked about the Sanhedrin and how they didn't want to bring the... He didn't want to bring the offering of the, of the Roman emperor. And uh, the Nitziv says that they, they persecuted people because they weren't righteous enough. And so it led to this righteousness, self-righteousness, led to hatred. This right, self-righteousness, hatred, led to hatred. That's an amazing concept. The concept is, I'm more religious than you, and therefore I hate you. If you're not as religious as me, I hate you. That's a concept of Sinat Hinam. That's where Sinat Hinam starts. That's what the Nitzv says. Amazing concept. So in reading all this above, in, in learning all this that we just talked about, what, what, what does it lead us? What do we see over here? One of the same major issues is this issue of uh, love your friend as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your friend as yourself. And this is the famous Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra on the Pasuk in Vayikra. In chapter 19, verse 17, look up this Ibn Ezra, very, very important Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra says, By observing the commandment to love your, your friend, we will return to our land. Because this mitzvah is the opposite of Sinat Chinam, which is what destroyed the second temple. So by keeping the mitzvah of Recha Kamocha, we're all going to go back to our land. Bezrat Hashem, Bezrat Hashem the, second temp- the third temple is going to be rebuilt. So let's just discuss some of these concepts. Number one is Sinat Chinam. And we have to work on getting along with each other. Getting along with someone. Just because someone doesn't think like me doesn't mean I hate him. You know, I just saw uh, uh, yesterday in the paper, in the Israeli paper, there was an article about um, the chief rabbi of England. What was his name? Uh, rabbi Sachs. Rabbi Sachs put out an article together with Yossi Sarid. <laughs> Yossi Sarid <laughs> is a well-known uh, secular leader in Israel. And he wrote a common, uh, he wrote uh, together with Rabbi Sachs that even though we don't agree with each other, we don't hate each other. We get along. So we have to learn to get along. Uh, hatred is not allowed in Jewish law. We have to recha kamocha. Loving each other will bring back each other. So that's number one. Number two, a shameless society. People engage in wrongdoing and they don't care. And they're proud of it. And that's something which we see today. People today have no shame. There's, there's groups today that have totally no shame. They're proud of what they do. They're doing wrong things, doing evil things, and they're proud of it. Number three, three is... Remaining silent in the face of injustice. If we suppose it's injustice, they're meant to talk out. They're meant to talk to the judges and say, how could you say such a thing? How could you rule such a thing? Number four, people who don't hold the ethical leadership in high regard. The rabbis know nothing. They're idiots. They're fools. So how are we going to get ethics from? Where are we going to get ethics from? We don't, if we don't hold the Torah in regard, if we don't hold our own holy books in our high regard. A corrupt legal system. Yerushalayim became known as a corrupt city. The growth of tribalism, a lack of trust in institutions, hatred of each other, love of money, decline of ethics and honesty, religious extremism, 
So that's uh, the problem we have. We're, and, we're, and these problems are with us, unfortunately, till today. Maybe not on the same level. Hopefully not on the same level. And Tisha B'Av should be a mechanism by which we improve ourselves, learn from these mistakes of the past. And Bezrat Hashem will grow together and will improve. And Bezrat Hashem, where we're going back to Israel, people are coming back to Israel. Israel is growing. Bezrat Hashem, Israel will continue to grow. Israel will continue to grow without fighting, without any bloodshed. And total unity between us in Israel and outside Israel. And Bezrat Hashem, we will see, we'll be the lucky generation who will see the Third Temple. Which I like to stress because there's an interesting Gemara in Sanhedrin and Daf. Tzadi Dalet Amud Aleph. Please look at this up. Tzadi Dalet Amud Aleph. The Gemara says that Hashem wanted to make Hiskiyahu Amelech the Mashiach. He wanted to make Hiskiyahu Amelech the, 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 the Mashiach. However, Hiskiyahu had one failing. It's a very, very interesting Gemara. The Gemara says, we think about the historical perspective. Hiskiyahu Amelech was a very, very big Tzadik. It says in his time, he put it. He, he enforced religious education to all the children. All the children of Israel knew the laws of of defilement, of ritual impurity, of ritual purity, and uh, and uh, therefore he was uh, he taught everyone, all the kids, and he had tremendous faith in God. He rededicated the temple, and yet the king of Assyria comes to conquer Yerushalayim. Sanherib, the king of Assyria, brings an army, hundred eighty thousand strong, and he besieges Yerushalayim, and uh, Hiskiyahu goes to the prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah the prophet, I wish we had prophets today who tell us what to do, and the prophet says, don't worry, Hashem is going to save you, no problem. Hizkiyahu says, you know what, okay, Hashem is going to save me, I'm going to go to sleep. Hizkiyahu goes to sleep, at night it says there was a tremendous plague which wiped out all the army of Sancheriv. Sancheriv was left alive with his two sons. And they wake up in the morning, tremendous miracle whole camp is a disaster. There was a plague at night. Everyone died. And they're left with all the food is over there. All the belongings are over there. They, they, they can take. They have tremendous amounts of gold and silver they go and get. And it's a tremendous victory. Without, without lifting up a finger. And the Gemara says that Hashem wanted to make him the Mashiach. Only one problem. He never said Shira. He never sang songs of praise to God. He should have said, Hashem, thank you so much for this massive miracle. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.